Welcome to A Pie with Shawnee B, coming to you from one of the greatest pubs in London. I don't even think my guests would uh, argue with that. She is a London institution. I would her- actually. Okay, well, we're going to argue that in a second. <laughs> she's, a, she's a London institution herself. She's an author. She's been on television and she is, I'm not even sure we're allowed to say landlady anymore, are we? I don't know. It is sort of old fashioned, it is, isn't it? I, well, I, I never refer to It's not to very my, feminist cool. No, it's not that even. I just think I, I always refer to myself as a licensee, which I am, which means I hold a liquor license, which means I haven't been bankrupt or I haven't run a whorehouse. <laughs> uh, and um, a publican. I'm a publican. And when I was introduced to my American in laws, they said, Roxy, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a publican. They said, a what? A Republican. <laughs> and my husband said, no, 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 no. She's Something a, to do with the Irish No, 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 no. No, she's um, oh, no, Republican a as in a Democrat, yeah. being a Democratic family. Oh, that's worse. Of course. <laughs> and um, my husband had to jump in straight away and say, no, 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 mama. She's a saloon keeper. Our <laughs> keep. Yeah, I'm a saloon keeper. So her name is Roxy Beaujolais, which is a tremendous name as well. Uh, where did you get that from? Oh, I think when I worked for Ronnie Scott years ago in the 70s, we cobbled that together. I think there was somebody else there called Jenny, which is my birth name, my given name. And so Ronnie called me Roxy. And Beaujolais, I think, was the cheapest wine we used to sell at Ronnie Scott's in those days. Beaujolais. She's been an institution around London. Uh, she, she's worked in, I've probably got some of these wrong, but she's been front of house at... Ronnie Scott's, which is a famous, famous institution itself, kind of cl- jazz club kind oh, of thing. Yeah, she was yeah. in Soho. Well, I managed. I managed to pub in Soho for ten years, and before that, for a year, I I had the misfortune to mismanage in a recession the Soho Brasserie. But anyhow, I, I soon learnt the difference between restaurant managing and public house managing. Which is well, I mean, a, a complaint usually in a restaurant. The maitre d' usually swallows it, and knocks it off the bill, and is ever so humble. Whereas with a publican, if people complain, and the publican feels within his rights, they can say, "Show them the door." You go. Quite honestly, which I'm sure. And also because I inherited an unsackable brigade of sullen chefs who didn't know how to chef or cook, so I swore after that. Any Never joint again. that I ran, I personally would do the cooking. So it was down to me. Where did you learn to cook? What happens, you know, just, just picked it, it up. You know, I suppose. A girl, you know, whose mother was a good old-fashioned cook, a girl who likes to eat and provide for people. Mm-hmm. You know, there was always, you know, when I was single, you know, there's always go around to Roxy's and, you know, bottles of wine and food, you know. Perceptive listeners will catch a Aussie accent here. Born in Adelaide, but raised in Sydney. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. What was it like when you were growing up? Were you happy? Did you have a happy time? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, yes, of course. You know, family, happy, yeah. You know. Did you have many brothers and sisters? No, I only had one brother who right. misbehaved himself very badly mm. in adolescence, and so the old man sent him away to sea. So we didn't have much contact because he was older and uh, a were normal... Were you a tear away when you no, were... No. You were very good? No, good at school? Uh, uh, no, no, never a tear away. Just I was no trouble because my brother was trouble okay. to my parents. So, so I wasn't particularly... <laughs> no, it was just, you know, happy, you know, growing up. The normal teenage angst, I suppose. Not as much as it is now, mm. of course, with the dreaded, you know, kids comparing themselves and their body features on Facebook, all, all that awfulness. Yeah. No, I was happy growing up. But but as I grew to late teenage years, I mean, my idea of heaven and sophistication was to 
drink black coffee and watch French films in there was one <laughs> art cinema in downtown Sydney called the Savoy next door to the Theosophical Society and um, that was my idea and then I suppose I really just wanted to be move I suppose London beckoned I had a, a much older cousin who'd a painter who'd gone to live in London after the war and came back in the 60s and was a great influence in my life and made London sound so wonderful, you know, from the 50s when they were here, living here. And he used to show at the Redfern Galleries. His name mm. is Louis James. And I really couldn't wait to be 12,000 miles away from the sound of a lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> but you did paint it before we press play, but you did paint a nice picture of... Oh, yes. The whole way Sydney was back then. Well, that's when I was... Uh, when I left school and went to... Um, uh, and my first job, I used... I was a, I learned how to type and shorthand and things. And I worked at the Art Gallery in New South Wales mm. in Sydney. And it was a very happy job with lots of people and painters and we were friends and all oh, marvellous. You young and pretty. And Sydney was... Downtown Sydney in those days, in the 60s was really a little Art Deco gem mm. until they started ripping things down and had to be multi-rise with a, a, a revolving rest always with a revolving restaurant on top, you know, to be part of the team. Right? I heard a great tip once, by the way, Roxy, which is never eat in a restaurant that moves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Isn't that true? No, I never, but I remember when the first revolving restaurant in Sydney... It applies to trains, boats... Planes, yeah. cars, yeah. a truck outside, anything yeah. that moves, don't eat yeah. yeah, of course not. Yeah, don't, well, well, what's, what's the old joke? Don't drink and drive, it might slop over the, yeah, you might the steering some. wheel. <laughs> no, no, no. If you drink and drive, it'll slop over the steering wheel. <laughs> and why do you think you were dying to get out, apart from this guy who is such an influence on you? Did he just sow the seed that life is better outside Australia, or was it just so well, I remote? Mean, he was my famous cousin, you know, who left, who'd done all, you know, all sorts of extraordinary war service and then went to London to be a painter with his wife. And it just seemed like a lovely world that, that I wanted to look at. And, and of course, all young Australians used to go for a year or two. Yeah, they, and, the, well, uh, and they do, and because, the, because being part of the Commonwealth, they're allowed two years working, I think. But I got my, I had an Irish grandfather, so I had got uh, patriality on my passport. So I came and through absolute sheer happenstance, I stayed. What age were you when you came? Uh, 25. Tell and me, I can came, you remember how excited you were? were you like, no, I wasn't excited. Of course, no? I was terrified. And as I said, it was all happenstance. All my girlfriends had been on those big liners, you know, Oriana yeah. and things that used to come, yeah. you know, boats. And they'd go over and they'd do their two-year trip and they'd come home. They usually did it when they were about 21. And then I, I got a free ride on a cargo boat when I was 25, and I stayed. I mean, but it was only by accident, really, much to my mother's great sadness that mm. I... She thought you'd be back in a year. I, yes, yes. And what was it like when you landed? Did you have it? You, so you had some contacts here, and then I knew an Australian family who had some young kids. So I, for a free bed, I think I stayed there for a couple of months, looking after the kids or something. And then that was the YWCA and various really? other things. Okay, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you don't know, it, and it take, and really, it's your first jobs that really get you friendly. And then about a year later, then I started working at Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club, and. I made friends. I have I have friends from then now, you know, sort of 
that we so you're a massive personality and you're very gregarious were you like that then or were you were you shy yes or? I suppose I was loud I always yeah. I always was noisy you know exuberant yeah. is the word exuberant, exuberant yeah, darling a better word. and um, <laughs> I remember my I used to do to make a quid when I first came here I'd do temporary typing there'd be agencies and you'd go out and you'd do temporary mm. and I had a temporary job they're all temporary and some fashion magazine or something working there for a couple couple of months and then it was Christmas Eve you know Christmas and they were going to be and he came he told me he said we'll have to let you go my dear because I was too noisy I was I was too exuberant for the and I can see that you know <laughs> fair enough. a fashion magazine would want someone well no well it wasn't it was an old fashioned it, Church it magazine. Any, <laughs> magazine. It was own, anyhow, I won't go into that. How but. did the whole Ronnie Scott thing happen? Well, just because I liked jazz and I went there and I said I had a job. And so I had a job and they gave me a job. And I think I worked the bar there for a while. And then, this was the place where hmm? all the famous people went. This was well, the, they did. I mean, in the 70s, jazz was neither fashionable nor profitable. It was on its way out, yeah. And so all those old guys... Still had to tour Dizzy Gillespie, Count Basie, Oscar Peterson, you know, everybody. They still had to tour. Mm. And they'd come, they'd drop off in, particularly in the summer, they'd do a two month, a two week stint at Ronnie's. Then they go off to the jazz festivals on the continent. They go to the Netherlands and Montreux Montreal, and places yeah. like that. And some nights, three, it close at three in the morning, sometimes at two in the morning, on stage, some of these guys would be in town, so they might get up to jam. There might be Oscar Peterson playing, Dizzy, Sarah Vaughan singing, and there'd be a few drunks left or fans in the room and just wow. the waitresses lining up listening to this amazing wow. stuff, you know. And then that, but that, they were really, they were old guys then. Yeah. Long gone now. Did you have any, like, good stories with any of those lads? Of, you know, are you still kind of. Junior or whatever, because you, you ended up running the place, but well, you're not the, running it. But the, the front of house, doing you're the magic. front of house. Yeah. Well, I just knew them. You, you know, you get the measure of them when you mm. come in. The younger ones are always a bit naughty and wanted a girlfriend for two weeks. Yeah. Well, like I suppose in any music business, I'm sure the classic music business is classical music. There were always groupies or yeah. uh, people coming by. But I mean, there was marvelous music. But I, I did, I enjoyed it very much a lot of the time because I would go to work at. 8.30 at night, put a flower in my hair like Billie Holiday and do the business. And then the next day I could be up and about London. You know, I had all London yeah. as my oyster till... During the daytime. Know, during the evening, yeah. And so those my early years in London. So I got fami became familiarised myself with, you know, sort yeah. of everything that was going on. Yeah. It's very intriguing for me listening back to those days because... You know, when I was growing up in Dublin, say the seventies and early eighties, it was just—it was like kind of you did also want to get out. You know, it wasn't—it yeah, was course. very unsophisticated. But London was the Dick Whittington paved with gold. Like you come over here and things would happen. You know, things just didn't happen in Dublin. Still don't to a certain extent. But uh, you, you just landed here and just went. You fell in love with it because I was even talking earlier and you're saying, yeah, Australia, not so much now because your, your parents are no longer. Well, I, I don't need. To. Well, because of the extreme temperatures and mm. I mean, I'm in constant contact with girlfriends. Yeah. But there's no family except my older brother, really. And that's sad that when members of the family die that no longer and also contemporaries I had a very close girlfriend who died of the dreaded pancreatic cancer at the, the notable usual age for that disease at mm -hmm. 67 mm -hmm. and I still mourn her I could pick up her and say Bet. I said what happened to such and such or your mother yeah, or, yeah. or a relative about you know and unless it's written down and photographed I mean a lot of the family you're not interested in really but just sometimes really there's a glimpse of 
a past time, say, before the war. You think, oh, who was that in that photograph? Mm. And then, of course, one's mother would know all that. Mm. You know. mm. Do you get nostalgic? Uh, no, um, about Sydney. About anything. You don't seem to be someone who no, nostalgic. No, it's been and done. I'm not being, on. No, yeah. no, I'm not. I mean, I understand it. I understand nostalgia. And I, I used to be, in these times now, though, I don't think we can afford to be nostalgic. I mean, it's very serious. Not, it was a long time ago when I, I would enjoy, well, we all, we're all fascinated. People our age are fascinated by the Second World War and the literature that, had, you know, endless, you know, still an industry of people's lives mm. in fiction and also the heroic ones, you know, from, you know, that came out of it. We're still fascinated by it. But just in the light of what's happening now, I, and I used to, you know, the books, the novels, those sagas of much-loved um, Elizabeth Jane Howard, the Cazalet trilogy. I mean, it is about the English and the upper middle classes. Mm. But certain things about the feeling, how women felt in that time, particularly just post-war. Not nostalgic, but I was always very interested in it. But now I realise it's rubbish. you just got to get on with really... Do you think it's better being a woman now than it was back then? I mean, with the, the advances that feminism have made, has made, you know, we, we had an, an election recently and there was, I don't know, four guys and three women running and they, the guy asked, are, are you a feminist? He just, it was a debate. And of course, you know, men find it very hard to say they're a feminist today, you know. I mean, where do you where do you land it? Well, do you think, do you think, are men feminists? I mean, do they have well, to be? I a consider feminist? myself no, a feminist. No, yeah, well, all right. I mean, but I mean, a feminist is seen is is a female noun, and if you're a, fem- a feminist, I mean, of course, you know. I mean, I, I wouldn't be sitting here, darling, talking to you mm. if you didn't think that we, as uh, my sex, didn't deserve yeah, or need exactly. or, or necess- not not deserve. But you might know. You might know. Huh? You mightn't know. You well, would know. Listen, <laughs> I can sniff out. I can sniff out a rat bag at a hundred paces. I can, I can. No, I can. But do you think it is better now? <laughs> no, it's better for homosexual men now because it was illegal mm. and they could go to prison. So of course that's better now yeah. and it's more public. Um, I'm still, you know, coping with this whole new trans scene. Yeah. But you know, I'm not going to go into that. No. But I mean that women, you know. Women, you know, don't go to war and stay home and have babies. I didn't have babies. You know, I went out and worked. Um, I mean, when I was a young, good-looking, pretty young thing out and about, you know, I mean, oi, 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 you know, the attitude was pretty vile, was pretty vile. But it's still pretty vile. So right, you, you, you were able to handle yourself, were you? Yeah, but I mean, it's still, it's still pretty awful. awful. No, I'm not saying, I'm not excusing it by any means. I'm actually segueing and br- walking down the road of you know, make America great again and make Britain great again. Was Britain greater back then? No, of course it wasn't. I mean, the acid started falling out of... The acid started falling out of Great Britain when, you know, the Toffs had to start paying tax before the First World War. Quite honestly, you know, they created an industrial revolution. The acid slowed... You know, Edmund Wilson wrote about it in the 40s. You know, the acid had fallen out of Britain years ago. It was never great. And America never was great. People can be very romantic about America because it's so loud and brash. And, you know, in the 50s, they really became something didn't they mm. after the war it was all people wanted to go you know abstract expressionism marvelous yeah. ice making refrigerators motor cars with ovens. fins um i mean that's all disgusting myth really just well it's jingoistic isn't it, it? is well we, yeah we have 
in Ireland, I think that we did lose something when we all got rich in the Celtic Tiger, right? But this is now only an anal- analysis of, say, 20 years. When we got greedy and when we got selfish and we were buying houses in Bulgaria and buying big cars, it didn't suit Irish. It just, it, you know, it suited some other country. And then we got absolutely spanked. And I feel that we're back now closer to what we were, albeit a very well-off well, I country. think it's rather interesting. Your, your Taoiseach is gay, he's a man Indian. who's gay and uh, is that his background? Indian. Yeah, he's, a, he's, a, yeah. he's an immigrant, yeah. yeah. Which is, oh, was he an immigrant well, his he, family? You know, his his, his mum and dad came yeah, over from right. India, yeah. And, you know. Which was early. It for, was, for, yeah. for, 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 Now you're saying, I'm saying... Um, it was always the other way, wasn't it? Yeah, they went well, they we, went to Sydney. They America. went to I mean I used to say that the reason we're alive, our grandparents, our great great grandparents and before them will be turning in their graves at the idea that when we got rich we would not take people in who who were less well off than us, right? Mm. And look after them and be kind to them and mm. be nice to them, you mm. know? Mm. Which we're back kind of getting on keel with that, but for a brief period, you know, racism because racism it wasn't necessarily colour of skin racism. It was all. It was kind of. Uh, You're talking about in Dublin, in Dublin in Ireland. Ireland. Yeah, we, yeah. we had no empire, so we didn't like. You know, the, mm. unfortunately, you know, the thing with empire is if you want to take over India, Indians are allowed to come here, and and so they should. And you yeah, know that that yeah. and that's the melting yeah. pot that yeah. especially this city prides yeah. itself on. Yeah. Ireland was more like Eastern European, so it was, it was mainly white people coming in from Poland or whatever. It's still racist, but yeah. it wasn't colour of skin racism. Yeah. But we weren't looking after them as well as we should have, and yeah. I think we can't even look after our own homeless. Homeless now, but I, yeah. I'm rem- I tell you what I am. Can I'm allowed to be romantic and about romantic is different from nostalgic. Nostalgic almost has an urgency that you wish truly it yes. was like that. Whereas romantic, it's just like a brief zephyr of an idea yeah. that goes r- flows before you. Um, Dublin in the fifties. A favourite book of mine is um, it's called Dead as Doornails by. Um, AJ Cronin. Okay. You don't know, you're looking at me as if you I don't know. I haven't read it. I haven't read it. I will go and read it. And I am reasonably well read. It's a marvellous book. Right. A Dublin friend of mine gave it to me. It's written by a man called Cronin. There was an English writer writer called I think AJ Cronin it wasn't him but anyway. And it was called Dead as Nor that Doornails and it's about the lives of Patrick Kavner, Miles McGopolin, yeah. and Brendan Bayon. Yeah. And it's riotous riotous we are recording truth. this on a very famous day oh is it Bloomsday it is Bloomsday oh, is 16th it of June is it and actually this pub if it was in Dublin would have been in Bloomsday yes I suppose it would have been I never covered at the start of the podcast the pub and it's very important because anyone <laughs> I, she probably doesn't want lots of people coming actually, I don't yeah <laughs> it's called the seven stars and it's like it's a kind of she also hates the word gastropub because she was a gastropub before gastropubs were gastropubs. It's not. I'm a landlady. That they are calling myself a landlady yeah. who likes to cook. And it's. I just had uh, chicken croquettes, which I will be coming back for. And to paint a picture, it's about the. Uh, we're upstairs in this sort of hidden office, I suppose. But downstairs, it's like a a, a railway carriage in in size, and it's got beautiful pictures of. Lo- it's it's right in the centre of the law part of London Lincoln Fields or whatever Lincoln's Inn Lincoln's Inn and, Lincoln's Inn. Inn. and yeah. um, beautiful beautiful old pub and apparently on Fridays people spill out into the street here and she runs it along with a cat who tends to have free reign and can sit wherever he is it a he he always he, he, Athlete. Yeah. Uh, and he and, and, and you either you either have the cat uh, or Roxy or both when you walk <laughs> in the door and, you'd be, and be nice when she says hello to you because I was just there and some guy came in with a backpack and 
kind of looked at her and she said well I said good day I said good day him but he yeah. looked at me blankly he, he looked at me if, if looks could kill yes but um, Roxy probably he probably thought you were a, a guest but it's, um, it's just like uh, do I look like I'm a guest no you don't no you don't <laughs> it is and also the cat thing where did the cat thing come from the cat yeah so it, it, this pub has always had a house cat that runs. Well, because I've always had cats, yeah. and, and uh, since I've been here, my first cat was a marvelous cat called Tom Payne, and he was a right bastard that would run up the street and chase dogs. <laughs> and uh, you used to put him in a big rough collar. Uh, they always wear co- yeah. uh, choristers ruffs from Westminster Abbey, <laughs> and then there was Ray Brown, named after the jazz bass player, and then there was uh, Peabody. And now I have the wonderful Clement Attlee. So they're all wonderful stray cats that come here to be much loved. Wear the rough and... So she gets, she <laughs> adopts the cats from cat pounds or places where they've been abandoned by people who don't want them and lives after them. <laughs> so you're getting the picture. You're listening to her. It's an eclectic kind of place, but it's, uh, it's absolutely wonderful. It's, the name of the pub is The Seven Stars, but don't tell everyone. They're, they're, and it's from 1602. There used to be a lot of pubs like this that I don't know whether... In Ireland as well, where, again, to your Sydney point... No, no, far better to knock it down and put in glass and, and, and you know, metal and, and, and whatever. Is there any sign of that coming back? And You know, this must be listed, I'd say. Oh, no, no, not here, because this has always been a tavern, although it's been extended a little bit on either side. When we came here 20 years ago, started, we did some refurbishing, and it's daub and wattle underneath. So it's over 400 years old, and it is listed, and it was always a tavern, so they can't do anything about it. It's one of the oldest in, in it's, London. Well, it's one of the oldest. It's one of the oldest. I don't trade survived. on that. It's just, you know, people say, it must be old. But Survive the Great Fire of London. Yes. A lot, lot of things that are old. Bits of the inn are old, you know. Mm. I mean. um, do you still love but, it? Oh, yes, of course. This is what I do. Um, but but pub, pubs in... It, They've become... They're taken over by chains or they get pulled down. And I think when pubs disappear from suburban streets and there might be a few people might protest I think well they can't pay their way you know my business tax went up 50% last year which is a lot of money you know if you're going to sell pints of beer a lot of money from you know the first day of every month you know £3,000 comes out rather than it used to be £2,000 I mean it's a lot of money just for that suburban pubs can't hack it and they close and there might be a campaign but people's lives have changed lives to everybody council flats whatever people have plasma screens they pay sky to stay home and watch the footer they get the sixth pack in texas so, you know does. i mean there's a marvelous max beerbomb story called the golden drugget a drugget is the name of a, like a turkish rug and you go walk through smoky foggy streets of London old London and in the distance you'll see a light glistening and it's like a golden drugget of light and it's a public house where people can go you know it's like all those Patrick Hamilton characters in all his books you know they can go and people's houses weren't centrally heated they were disgusting that people lived in dreadful I mean I remember in the 70s when I came here what you know the bed sits were like you know with the dreadful ascot that would explode every time you'd light it when Mm -hmm. you tried to have a bath and that was the 70s we thought we were modern we weren't modern London wasn't modern then really and 
this welcoming warmth of a public house where for a few hours, you know, life... And then they'd have to go home to a different... But that life's changed and life's not like that now. It's like being sentimental. I'm not sentimental about it. I mean, it's like romantic telling you the story. Sure. When I come in here, though, one of the first things I get from it is... I start trying to imagine all the great nights that happened in here. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's something sentimental. But it's not it? only here so much. The laughter and yeah. the snow outside and people falling into the street. You know what I mean? Stuff like oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Would, you, would you ever get a night like that in, like, this year? Or, or is that all bygone? Like, the actual characters... You know, there's a huge amount of articles on this pub written in, in all the English papers and she's a darling of, the, of that kind of destination pub. But you had a whole pile of characters used to come here. You know, it's a bit yeah, like... A, it reminds me of Singapore. I used to live in Singapore. And Raffles Hotel and Noel Coward and all those guys. And they kind of dine off. And that's nothing like what it was. Because it was on the beach and it was a, an old ramshackle place. Do you know that Raffles um, Hotel. Paul Theroux novel called St. Jack? I haven't read it, but I know it, yeah. But it was, was turned into a lovely film with my favourite... Um, not John Cassavetes. Oh, it's gone. His name. My, Paul Gazeera. And it was a lot of it was filmed in Raffles. That was yeah. in the 70s. Yeah. Well, of course, Raffles is... You know. Well, people still go there. Well, they go they? there and have a 20 yeah. euros yeah. Singapore sling and pretend yeah. that Well, yeah. But I mean, what I mean is the, or the Hemingway pubs in, in Venice and stuff like that. You know, these, this is that kind of pub. And you had a lot of famous people, in, you know... In well, they Man. weren't famous. Well, I mean... They were all rat bags. Colourful racing identities, which is a great Sydney term. You know, oh, is it? Yeah, well, you yeah, know colourful racing identity you know but not, right. not, not, not is that I don't yeah. know that expression yeah, yeah. well you know what it means yes. right, it's a oh, rascal you mean that? rascal oh right yeah John Singleton people like that the ad man down there you know guys, oh, guys yes, who go out boozing at lunchtime and have a fight with each other in a pub you know that's yes. those sort of guys yeah. but you mean and then when you talk about that golden light you know welcoming thing that's very different as a sort of concept of a pub to, and this, this still fits that I mean, will you still have those sorts of nights here? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. More so if I'm here. I, yeah. I, I tend, as I'm older, getting older, I come in and do all the hard physical work in the daytime and tend to go home or me and the old man go to, you know, the concert hall quite a lot, you know, all that. Um, so it, it does happen, yeah. We talked, touched briefly on Brexit. How do you, and I know your, your views on that, which would be the same as mine, but how do you feel about the future? You know, we talked about the heat and climate in your home country. Well, you know, I was talking about it to you earlier about a customer of mine who was thinking, well, fuck that for a game of soldiers. I'm going, I'm, I, I'm leaving town. Where would he go to? Would he go to the rural, you know, shires or further west Wiltshire where all the artists went, had second homes in the 60s? When the country was the country wasn't divided, the peasants weren't revolting. It's just when I think the peasants started revolting when all the pea pickers came over from Lithuania and everybody started to hate each other. Mm. So where would you and go? Said, and then you go to France, and the, the you know the penists are going to be taking over. I mean, God knows. I mean, I think you just got to sit tight and mm. you know sort of argue it out. Do you think the peasants will eventually revolt? Sadly, I'm not going to start. Well, I will talk no, no, about the no, Brexit. No. If I mean, if they do, well, they won't really. If one hopes that there is a second referendum, one would. No guarantee. One would. I know. I know. But say if there was, yeah. and more people, there are only a small people voted. Mm-hmm. You see, as an Australian, voting is compulsory. I know, yeah, it should be here and in Ireland. It's not compulsory in America either. You're fined if you don't. So I've always voted, and I always tell my staff, well, everybody can vote. 
But if there is a second one, it will be the result, no matter what it is, whether it will be more entrenched yes. and bitter, whether our lot, the remainers, win or it'll be embittered. It really will. And that's the way the nation is dividing itself. Um, any hope for us getting out of the pickle? Boris Johnson's hardly died to leave Please, no, no, the no, promised no, land. No. <laughs> <laughs> Boris Johnson still hasn't quite been made um, prime minister yet, but it's looking like it's highly likely. Horrifying. 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 I, I mean, I've said this in the pod a couple of times to other guests, but you know, when we were growing up, when we were growing up, the British politicians were kind of scary. Like they were tethered and they were they were old. They were old. They were old. Sort of. Well, they were always old Etonians, except Thatcher. But I mean, they were all old. Vicious. You know, we were scared of them. We had kind of failed farmers running our. And now our politicians are pretty good. Like they're not great, but they're better. You know, and uh, we're just looking. What the hell's going on over there? But we did think, didn't we? Think that Mary Robinson was wonderful. That she put the shining light in her window. And look at her with Uh, your woman, the the daughter of you know who'd been maltreated. Saying everything. She she walked into a. I mean, I think she stepped in the landmine there. I think she's a pretty good person. I think so. uh, Yes, at heart, and I think that she's done a lot of good work for the UN. Yeah, we were all like, going, uh, no, surely that's not Mary Robinson. It's just people with yeah, Huey and Bonham out there. We don't, we don't tell them what to I, say. I'm not blaming her. I'm just saying she yeah. stepped into she it, did, didn't she? She did. Yeah. She didn't do such a... Manipulated such a, into it, yeah. such a great job. Mm. So what else? I mean, I did, one, I, the other thing I talk about to some guests is that I, for the first time in my life, I don't really worry about the end of days for me I, I don't go I'm, I'm dying to say, I used to well, I wonder what it's going to be like when we have phones in our hands or whether we can you know. well I remember when I was in school we used to say wouldn't it be funny if a boyfriend rang you on the telephone and he could see you with your hair in rollers wouldn't that be funny I, I mean I <laughs> and that would be funny but like, it's not funny uh, anymore I'm no. kind of going uh, I don't like the, the whole climate thing and everything. I'm just kind of like I'm, I'm, like you're pessimist you're optimistic like do you have regrets well, I have regrets that you know, again, the, 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 the <laughs> governments didn't perhaps embrace environmentalism much earlier and that we had wave power and mirrors in the yeah. desert and more turbines, you know, yeah. 40 years ago when they were mooted, really. Well, we greed or, you know, oh. self-sufficiency. Mm. 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 What would you say to the younger Jenny? from the block in Sydney oh Jenny from the block <laughs> just keep, keep at it girl keep at it yeah. really yeah you know I mean as the retirement looms you know within the next 10 years or so I'm just going to keep at it you're not going to retire no I know I know I suppose you're I'm not really <laughs> but the young girl you know is really just keep at it keep hammering away <laughs> something good will come <laughs> thank you very much for being on my podcast it has been an absolute pleasure meeting you this is the second time I arrived the first time about three months ago and I, I thought we'd arranged it and we hadn't and she looked at me and went, sorry. <laughs> so, oh, I, I was sorry because I was poorly and I had flu and I, I was know, losing she my was very, She was ill and I was like, I'm definitely coming back. And then, for, uh, for the record, and then when you emailed me again for the, this occasion, I also was poorly because I dropped a gas cylinder on my toe and very proudly I had broken my toe in three places. The pain brought tears to your eyes. Tears to my eyes. To, but Is I'm it okay. better? Yeah, yeah, of course. I keep, keep being who you are. And <laughs> keep at it. Making London happy. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>